All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Hey, if uh, you're new here, this is your first time. My name's Kale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, and uh, we're grateful to have you with us. Guests, we always kind of give you this introduction when you're here. There's a resource for you uh, on the front of your seats. The QR code's there. We'll take you to lpguest.com, or you can just type into a browser, lpguest.com. But uh, that's a resource we've developed for you. It's going to have the uh, passages for this morning. We're going through uh, as much text this morning as we went through uh, last week, through uh, pretty much two full chapters this morning. So I hope you'll utilize that resource. There's also a guest information card there for you as well. And I hope you'll take a moment, give some feedback just on the morning. We'd love to connect uh, with you. Also, just a reminder about Trunktober. So that's next Sunday. It's coming up quickly. Uh, I think we're at uh, around 30 trunks now. Uh, We'd we'd love to see that at at 45. So you've got a few days here still. If you want to sign up to do a trunk, I would say please do that. That's part of what makes that event great. It's a great opportunity to serve and connect with our uh, community. So invite folks. There are still invite cards out at Guest Central and uh, sign up to do a trunk. If you absolutely can't do a trunk and would love to donate candy, that's super helpful as well. You can bring that to the office anytime uh, this week and just uh, bring, bring some candy for the event, all right? But let's just pray towards that and invite folks. We'd love to see people uh, connect to Christ, ultimately by connecting to our church just through an event like this. We're in week 10, guys. We, uh, we are here, right, at the end of this series that we're calling uh, New. We are, we've been studying our way through Revelation now for 10 weeks, and today is week 10. We are hitting Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and I am, I am thrilled. This is going to be, uh, Lord willing, a great morning. We're going to go to the new heavens and the new earth and spend some time in the new Jerusalem, and then we'll close out our time today. We have six more people getting baptized today, and so praise God for that. Three here at the 9.30, and then three... Uh, at the 11, and that makes here at the Delaware campus, I think, 32 baptisms in the last five weeks or so. So uh, we're just thrilled at what God is doing. So uh, let's go. Yeah, please. Um, I, it's something we've said every week. We'll start here, right, with the big idea. Revelation's more about present hope than a future calendar. We've said that uh, 10 times now. And so hopefully that's sticking with you. That The book of Revelation is not It's not an end time calendar. You don't open it up and say, hey, when this happens, that means we've got T minus 10 years right till Jesus returns. Uh, It's not meant for that. It certainly does address the future. We're going to talk about it this morning. Uh, But it was written by the Apostle John, really from God, right, from Christ to John and then to the churches who were experiencing a ton of persecution at the time. And he just reminds them, guys, this is what is to come. Christ is going to return. He has won already through the cross, but one day he will finish that victory in full. His his kingdom is here and it's coming in full, so stay faithful. Take hope and take heart in that and stay faithful. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in light of his return. Well, today, as we hit the New Jerusalem, we, we've, been, we've been through a lot of heavy stuff throughout uh, this study and throughout the book of Revelation, and we've been talking about the return of Christ as, the, as this future thing coming, and today we get to talk about it as a present reality, in a sense, right? It's something that has happened, and now what happens after he returns and he brings all of his people with him? And so here we go in Revelation 21. And into 22, starting in verse 1. John says, Then I saw, right, Christ has come. We've already been to the great white judgment throne, right? He's done away with all evil. All people that have trusted Jesus with their life, he's brought with him now. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
all right? And we've said a couple of times on this, the sea, right? You're like, why is there no sea in heaven, right? Uh, the sea is representative all throughout the Bible of the forces of chaos and evil. And so this is showing us, right? Hey, those are gone. <laughs> There's no evil. There's no chaos here. There's no challenge to God's authority or his sovereignty. It's gone because God has dealt with it once and forever. The sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. A good bit of what we're going to read this morning in 21 and 22 is like a highlight reel of incredible promises from God. <laughs> and these are some of the greatest. This is some of the greatest. Sometimes if we're just, if we're Real with one another, okay? He just said, neither will there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. Sometimes, oftentimes, life is hard. We live in a sin-sick world. None of us are exempt from that. Pain is pervasive. Suffering is real. Death affects us all. The world's not yet as it should be. And Jesus tells us specifically, as you pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow him, you're going to run into hardship. <laughs> the road following Christ is marked with hardship and suffering and difficulty. And yet, think about it, he says, but one day, as you walk that road, and you go on that journey, and you climb the mountain, and it's hard, and you're following Christ in his footsteps of suffering, one day you're going to see that all of it was eminently, completely worth it, because Jesus is worth it. One day, Jesus himself, right? God, the God of heaven is going to wipe every tear from your eyes. And you're going to see in that moment how all of it, it was worth it because he is so worth it. And everything that I went through, it's not even worth comparing, the scriptures say, to the glory that's, that's to be revealed to us in that day. And I just want you to imagine, right? You're there with Jesus and God himself looking at you saying, son, daughter, and he's wiping the tears from your eyes saying, it's okay. Because all of that stuff can't touch you here anymore. <laughs> Everything that, that grief, that pain, that loss, that hurt, it's not allowed here. <laughs> this is the new Jerusalem. And here is a place of eternal blessing and security and peace and joy in the presence of your Savior forever. <laughs> That's our eternal destiny. Jesus declaring, I have made all things. I am making all things new. And the former things have passed away. Verse 5. Also he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the first and I'm the last, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's free. Come, come to Christ. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But there's a warning here. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We addressed that last week in full. If you missed last week, go back and listen to last week's message. You can find it on our website. But mostly in, verses, or in chapters 21 and 22, there are just incredible promises. But there are a few points where we get a reminder, a very stark warning and reminder that, hey, in this place, no evil is allowed here. No evil is allowed here. And if you're still running in your sin, there's no sin in this place. So, so the call is, right, you need to deal with that. And the way you deal with that is not by fixing yourself, but by turning to the one who has done everything for you at the cross, in your place. And you come, as we're going to talk about, you wash yourself clean. You are washed clean by the blood of Jesus shed at the cross. You just come to him and you plunge yourself beneath that flood where sin sinners lose, as the song says, all their guilty stains. Go to him and be washed clean. Accept what he offers and drink from the river of life. Verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now we said, right, the, the bride, the wife of the lamb is the church. And here though, we get the picture of the bride being the, the city, right? The new Jerusalem, where we as the church dwell and are and where God himself is dwelling. Everything about this, all pervasive throughout these two chapters is the idea that we are finally with God and he is with us in full, right? Completely in his presence and glory. And he says, I'll show you the bride, the wife, the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. This is our eternal home. I hope it excites you. Its radiance is like a most rare jewel, like a jasper. John's grabbing for words. How do I describe the beauty of what I'm seeing to you? It's like a rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. You've got the Old Testament saints. On the east, three gates. On the north, the south, three gates. The west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You've got the New Testament saints. All the people of God gathered together in eternity, forever, in joy with the Lord. And God himself right is there. Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. What's this city like? How big is this city? What's its dimensions? The city lies four square, its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Note that, okay? Length, width, height are equal. Now, the dimension of this city, we've said all throughout it, right? The numbers in Revelation, I think symbolic. I kind of hope it's literal, right? If I'm honest, 12,000 stadia is almost 1,400 miles, okay? It's a city that's 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400. 1,400 by 1,400 miles. So the city of New York, right? More than 8 million people is 305 square miles. 
This city is 1.9 million square miles. It's larger than the country of India, just smaller than Australia. So I kind of hope it's literal, because that's awesome, right? And as I was reading this week, if I understand correctly, uh, this is about the length of the entire Roman Empire. So it's almost like this jab at the Roman, like, yo, our city is as big as your empire, right? It's this incredible, but I think the purpose of telling us why, why is it so big, it's, it's a city unlike anything we can imagine in its beauty, in its perfection, in its scope, in its size. It is the city of God. And it's unlike anything we can ever imagine. Now, why is it a cube? Why, why a city that's wide and high, the same dimensions? I thought this was fascinating, right? Do you realize, so 1 Kings 6.20, multiple commentators pointed this out. 1 Kings 6.20, multiple times in the Old Testament, you get the dimensions of the temple. And inside of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is a cube. Its dimensions were 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits high. She said, why is this significant? <laughs> because we now live in the Holy of Holies. How awesome is that? The Holy of Holies, guys, just to remember, in the Old Testament, one man a year, one man, one time a year, the, the high priest. He had to cleanse himself, right, multiple, multiple times, multiple ways. And one time a year, that great, the high priest could go in and he would make atonement for the people. He would sacrifice on behalf of the people. He could go, and the Holy of Holies represented the very presence of God. That's where the presence of God dwelt. And only one, nobody was allowed in. And only one time a year could the high priest himself go in and make a sacrifice to uh, atone for the sins of the people. Now, because of Jesus, our great high priest, who once and for all has made atonement for our sin by his body on the cross, we get to go right into the very presence of God, and our eternal dwelling is the Holy of Holies. That, somebody say amen. That's awesome, right? We get to be in God's presence forever. The city in which we live is the place that in the Old Testament only one time a year could the high priest go. Now we just live there in the presence of God. It's what, I'll, I'll quote it later, but it's what Paul talks about when he says, right now we see dimly, we see dimly as if in a mirror, but then we get to see him face to face. Seeing the very face of God. Imagine, right, to, to help you maybe imagine this. Imagine those times in your life where the presence of God just felt the most real to you. Where you sensed God's presence and, and joy the most in your life. When the veil between heaven and earth, right? Just seemed so thin for a little while. Now imagine that intensified infinitely and then experiencing that eternally. The best moments, right, of, of the joy and just feeling like God's presence is here, intensified infinitely and experienced eternally. That's the new Jerusalem. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The angel goes on. He measures the wall. The walls are incredibly thick, and it's amazing, right? You look at verse 18. It says, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold. And yet, this is so, it was pure gold like clear glass. It, the, the idea here is that the radiance and brilliance of God are allowed to just sort of shine through everything. <laughs> Everywhere you look, it's just the radiance and glory of God shining through gold that somehow is like transparent or clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald. It goes on to list 12 precious stones. And then the 12 gates are made entirely of pearl. 
but the pearl is also like transparent glass. Once again, you've just got the brilliance and majesty of God everywhere. And to, to just emphasize that, goes on and says this. John says, and I saw no temple in the city. Verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This would have, I mean, it would have been unthinkable to religious people in the ancient, that, that's part of what marked Christianity in the early years of the church is people are like, where's your temple? And they're like, yeah, we don't need one, <laughs> right? In some ways, we as the church are the temple. And here he says, there's no need for a temple. The temple is where you went to to try to access the presence of God. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. We're just with them forever. And then it goes on in 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why do we, we need the created lights when we have the very source of light in the city with us? For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb, the lamb that was slain. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, right? Just note too, John throughout all of his gospels, throughout all of his writings really talks a lot about light and darkness. Light representing, right, the glory and the beauty of Christ. Darkness, night representing, right, evil, not knowing Christ. And he says, there's no night here. <laughs> it's just day. All, like, it's beautiful. Like, we just, we're in the presence of God always. They'll bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who have given their lives to Jesus are allowed in the city who have been washed clean by his blood. I love that it says the gates will never be shut. Did you notice that little section there? It said the gates will never be shut. Why do we lock our doors at night? Right? You're like, well, it's wise. Yeah, but why is it wise? Because of fear. We fear what could happen, right? We, we recognize that, man, we live in a world where bad things can and do happen. And so maybe something has happened in the past that caused you kind of fear, and so you, or maybe you're just aware of, hey, that could happen. And so out of that, in some ways, rightful fear, we go and lock the door at night. Here, there's no need for that ever because <laughs> nothing bad is allowed here. There's no threat. There's no evil, Right? There's nothing, this is, the, this is the new Garden of Eden, only, only better. <laughs> We're going to see here in a moment how the Garden of Eden is like in the city, but it's been remade and, and the serpent's not allowed here. Do you know where he is? He's been cast into the lake of fire. He's gone. There's, no, there's nothing allowed to enter this place, so the gates can just be open all the time, always and forever. And it's all been purchased for us by the blood of the Lamb. He keeps telling us, and the Lamb is there. The lamb that was slain, the lamb we look back and saw in Revelation 5, through his cross, he has purchased this for us. Now, let's go into Revelation 22. That was 21. You're like, can it get better? I think it does, right? It just keeps getting better. Then the angel showed me, verse 1 of 22, the river of the water of life. I'm not entirely sure what all that means, but I want to be in that river. I don't know about you. The river of the water of life. This is multiple images from the Old Testament sort of drawn together. You've got in the prophetic writings, right, these rivers that flow from Zion. You've got the river that flowed from the Garden of Eden, right? There was this river in the Garden of Eden. Jesus then 
says, I'm the river of, he's the river of life, right? He says, I'm the source of eternal. He tells people, right, if you would just ask, I would give to you living waters, right? That would swell up in you to eternal life. And all of that kind of brought together in its imagery here. And he says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. That's a heck of a downtown, <laughs> right? We have a great downtown here in Delaware. I love Delaware. It's picturesque, right? Small town America, quaint, lots of great restaurants. And it is nothing compared to the downtown of the city of God. <laughs> there's life and there's joy everywhere flowing through the middle of the street. And I love it too. It's not just like biological life. It's not just that stuff is alive, right? Because that word, the Greek word for that is bios, right? Or bio. That's where we get biology, life. The Greek word used here is zoe, used here and all throughout Revelation, zoe. It's a different word that means the absolute fullness of life that only comes from God himself. And yet that's just everywhere. The river of the water of life it's everywhere. It's just all around. It says also on either side of the river, river, the tree of life. Keep going. The tree of life with its, where, did we, where do we hear from the tree of life? Back from the garden. But it's been brought here now in perfection. The tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And listen to this. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Do we not need that right now? We've got multiple nations at war right now. Lord, do we need the healing of the nations? <laughs> it says the tree, right? The leaves for the healing of the nations. No longer, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. It's almost like John just keeps reminding us over and over, hey, have I told you that God himself is going to be here? <laughs> Have I told you that the lamb that was slain is going to be here and we're going to dwell with him? It's a good moment just to say explicitly, let's be reminded, right? What's in the new Jerusalem? What's in the new heaven and earth? And what's not in the new heaven and earth? In life, joy, peace, the fullness of the presence of the glory of God, you and me and God himself, the lamb that was slain. What's not in the new creation? Death, Mourning, crying, pain, tears, sin, evil, the serpent, because all things have been made new. And that's where we get to live for all eternity. Then in verse 4, I told you this whole thing was like a highlight reel of awesome, incredible promises, right? This is perhaps the greatest. You get to verse 4 and this is what it says so simply and yet I think so powerfully. They will see his face. Can you imagine that for just a moment? They will see his face. We will see his face. All throughout the Old Testament, this is something that was unthinkable to the people of God. The idea that you could see the face of God and not die. Moses, like possibly the greatest guy from the Old Testament. It's like, God, can I see your face? And God's like, no. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you behold my glory as I walk by. You can look at my back as it were. I'll hide you. I'm gonna put my hand over you because if you saw my face in your sinful state, you would die. The holiness of God in your sinful state would kill you. And yet that's the glory of the gospel is that Christ has come and through his cross, 
through his sacrifice, he has removed all the guilty stains. He's brought us near to God. When he was at the cross, it says, right, he says, it is finished. And the curtain was torn from top to bottom and access into the Holy of Holies, which now has come in full. And so in a very real way, right now, you and I, if you're in Christ, you get to be near to God. He is with you. You can see him. You can experience him. And at the same time, if we're honest, right, and it's theologically true, scripturally true, there's a sense of the already but not yet to the Christian life. Already I get to experience the glory of God. Oh, not yet. I can't wait to see his face. I told you earlier, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, right? The Apostle Paul addresses this when he's talking about love. And he says, right now we see in a mirror, 13, 12, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Mirrors, right? In the old the ancient world would have been oftentimes polished metal, not like our mirrors where you can see clearly. It was a dim reflection. You could see stuff, but it was kind of foggy almost. And he says, right now we see like that. I can see it, but it's not completely clear. Then, face to face. Now I know in part, he says, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Now that day has come. Then is now here in Revelation 22. And he goes on, Verse four, and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Now please note what, what he just said. They will reign, circle, just circle that. They will reign forever and ever. In heaven, we will serve God. We will worship God. We will be with him. We will enjoy the fullness of his presence forever and ever. But not only that, we get to reign with him. We get to be co-heirs with Christ. So there are so many echoes here. Back to that. You got a, a whole Bible. It's this unified story. What did God put Adam and Eve in the original creation, in the garden? What did he put them there to do? He said to work it, subdue it. Have dominion over it. He's not, he didn't put them in there and go, I don't know, just, you know, kind of relax, guys. I don't have much for you to do here. He puts them there and he goes, have dominion over the world that I've created you. Work it, subdue it, reign over it. And then we turned away from him and the world was fractured and the image of God still in us but marred. Now that's all been restored. We've been remade in the image of Christ and we are once again reigning with him and he, gets, he puts us in the new creation, in the new Eden and he says, reign over it. I think we'll work in heaven. And some of us went, no, right? No, right? You did not like work here. Work without the exhaustion. Work without the toil. Work without the futility. Work without the conflict with coworkers and employers or employees. Work in the best meaning of the sense. When you go do something and you step back and go, man, I just feel good about what I've done. I've created something. I got to be a part of making something better or new. That forever of reigning with Christ and working in the new creation and experiencing the glory and the purpose of that as we fulfill the purpose we were created for from all eternity past into eternity future. Again, somebody say amen, all right? Let's keep going. <laughs> oh, man. I think we'll work in the new heaven. I think it will be eternally fulfilling and joyful. And I love, if you, if you need a quick way to think about that, in the old creation, God looks at Adam and he says, from now on, thorns and thistles 
right? You'll work the ground, but it won't produce for you anymore like it did. It'll be full of thorns and thistles. I hate thistles. I have them all, I did have them all over my yard. Hoffman's, thank you, right? And so, but now, right here in the new creation, it's no more thorns, no more thistles, no more of those things that come in and make futility out of the things we're trying to accomplish. It's a world that's been broken free from the curse of sin. And it's free to be all that it was created to be. Verse 6, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 7, and behold, this is Jesus speaking, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I'm going to come back to that here in a moment. Go down to verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Jesus still speaking here. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, I just love, the author of Hebrews tells us Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one, right, the firstborn from the dead. It's in him that we have new life. He started our new life. Our new life starts. We're born again because of him, because of his cross and his resurrection. And our final destiny is him <laughs> forever and all eternity. He is the goal and the prize. Blessed are those, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Say, how do we have clean, how are we clean before God? Is it something we must do? How do we wash our robes? Revelation 7 told us, says we wash our robes in the blood of the lamb by what Christ has done at the cross, by believing in him. This is the work of God, Jesus says, that you believe in the one in whom God has sent. Trust your life to him. Going on in verse 14, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And one final warning here for this morning. Verse 15, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Let me just address this momentarily. If you're here today and you love and you practice falsehood, you don't know Jesus, you're not walking with Jesus, and as we've talked about all throughout the series, you're still holding God at arm's length saying, no, no, not thy will be done, my will be done. You're in danger. And I don't want that for you. And to say it to you differently, if in this life, Jesus isn't your greatest love. If he's not your first priority, and we need to call that what it is, that's idolatry. If you're putting something else or someone else before Jesus, before the Lord, that's idolatry. And I'm not talking about perfection. Do we all stray? Yes. Do we all get distracted? Yes, at times. Of course we do. Which is why repentance is not just a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle for the believer, okay? The confession of sin to the Lord coming back to him Justification being made right with God? Yeah, one-time thing. Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, whole life long. <laughs> Come back to him over and over. But hear me very clearly on this one point. If you are here today, you're living your life, loving other things, prioritizing other, other things over Jesus, which is idolatry, and then you go to the grave the same way without ever turning, without repentance, not only will you not be allowed into heaven, you wouldn't like it if you were. And that's really important to understand. If you're here going, God's going to keep me out of heaven because I don't love Jesus or put him first. Guys, heaven's all about Jesus. You're not going to like it. You're not going to love it for all eternity if you don't love Jesus now. 
Heaven is not all your wildest or my wildest fantasies come true. <laughs> it is, it's beautiful beyond our wildest dreams, but the beauty and the glory of heaven is centered squarely on a person, the lamb that was slain. The beauty of heaven and the glory of heaven is loving Jesus and being loved by him for all eternity. So if you don't love him now, you're not going to love it then. And so you say, what do I do about that? You turn, turn from your sin, repent, and start today rehearsing for all eternity by loving Jesus and by putting him first, by accepting what he did on the cross for you, where he loved you, by giving himself as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine, and then rose from the grave that we might have new life in him. Now, verse 17 repeats an invitation all who are thirsty, come drink from the everlasting water. Verse 18 and 19, John gives a very stark warning about taking away from the book or adding anything to this prophecy. Don't, don't tamper with the word of God. In verse 20, he closes out, 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. John says, come, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of the church. Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That's the close of the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I want to close with one application for us, okay? What do we do with this? I've talked about, I mentioned verse 7, right, that we'd come back to that. Verse 7 says, behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. I'm coming soon. You heard that over and over. Soon, soon. You say, when is that, Gail? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus didn't tell us to try to figure that out. What Jesus repeatedly told us is, you live your life in anticipation and in light of Jesus' return. All throughout the New Testament, never are, are the saints told, hey guys, Jesus is coming, long time away. Sit back, relax, and just, you can get things figured out later, right? Keep doing what you do. No, it's, hey, keep your eyes there then so that it changes how you live now. And that's, that's that, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. Nancy Guthrie, we said this at the very beginning in her book, Blessed. She said, guys, our greatest challenge in the book of Revelation is not understanding all of Revelation. It's aligning our lives accordingly. <laughs> it's making the necessary changes the book calls for. And I think sometimes we think, yeah, but I mean, that heaven, that's there and then. We have to live in the here and now. So what good does it do to get lost in the there and then if we have to deal with the here? No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, put it this way. The runner in the middle of the race who knows the finish line is coming speeds up. <laughs> when you see the finish line, when you're looking at the finish line and you see the glories of that, it's, man, the race will be finished and there's a party afterwards. It helps you run the middle of the race well. That's what we need to do. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You look to the new heavens and the new earth and let it change how you live. Let the there and then change how you live here and now. Recognize the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming and I need to live my life with a sense of immediacy and, and the imminent return of Christ. He's coming and I want to be found faithful before my Lord and my Savior. I think that's what John would say to us. Guys, let the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, let the glory of Jesus so and capture your heart and so move you that it changes how you live right here and now because you know what is real and what is coming. And maybe to sum it up this way, I was sitting in my truck this week and um, was reading these two chapters, just glorying in them. And after I finished them, I felt like the Lord took me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. 
And it's the Apostle Paul writing at the very end of his life to this Timothy, this young man who's his son in the faith, and he's about to die. Paul is about to die. And he says this, the time of my departure has come. Verse 6, 2 Timothy 4. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Now listen here. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Church, Believer, let's fight the good fight. Let's finish the race. And let's keep the faith that we might be able to say this, right? Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which Jesus himself will award to me on that day and to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask for every single person here who knows you and who loves you, that God, you would help us to fight the good fight, to run the race well, to finish the race, and to keep the faith. Let us not get distracted by lesser things. Let us be enraptured by your glory and your love for us. And let us live in anticipation of the new heaven and the new earth for the glory of God. And God, for anyone who may be here today who doesn't know you, who doesn't love you, may they accept the invitation today that Jesus offers. Come all who are thirsty and drink from the river of the water of life without payment. Come to him. His cross has purchased our salvation. God, we love you. And we look forward to the day when you make all things new. And we say together, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints said, amen.